Book Eight. Soon as the dawn shone forth, rose fingered at earliest daybreak. Out of his bed, Alcinous, sacred in power, bestirred him. Then rose also the Zeus-sprung sacker of cities, Odysseus. Leading the way, Alcinous, sacred in power, proceeded to the Phaeacians' gathering place, built close to the galleys. Having arrived, they took their seats on smooth, polished bench stones, close to each other. But through the whole town went Pallas Athena, making herself to resemble sagacious Alcinous' herald. Pondering plans for the homeward return of great-hearted Odysseus, standing beside each man, she spoke these words and addressed them: "Come now, bestir yourselves, Phaeacian leaders and princes. Go straightway to assembly, that you might hear of the stranger who just recently came to sagacious Alcinous' palace, wandering over the seaway in form most like the immortals." So she spoke, and in each man stirred up valor and spirit. Speedily then were the place of assembly, and all of the benches filled with the men who gathered, and many there were who wondered when they beheld the ingenious son of Laertes. Athena poured down marvelous grace over him on his head and his shoulders, made him taller than he had been, more mighty to look at, so he would be most cherished by all the Phaeacian people. Feared and respected among them, and he could accomplish the many trials by which the Phaeacians tested the worth of Odysseus. Then, when they had collected and all were gathered together, first Alcinous spoke and addressed them, giving them counsel. Listen to me as I speak, Phaeacian leaders and princes, so I can say such things as the heart in my breast is demanding. Here has a stranger. I know not who he is. Come to my palace, wandering, whether from men of the dawn or from those of the sunset. He asks us for conveyance, beseeches that it be assured him. Let us then, as in earlier times, make haste with a convoy, seeing that never has any one else who came to my palace stayed long here in the country, lamenting about a conveyance. But come now, let us drag a black ship to the luminous sea brine, one now making the first of her voyages. Then from the city choose fifty-two young men who have earlier proven the bravest. Straightway, when you have carefully fastened the oars in the oarlocks, disembark and at once get busy preparing a speedy dinner, returning to us an abundance for all. I will furnish. These are the orders I lay on the young men. As for the others, princes endowed with scepters, do you to my beautiful palace come, so that we in the halls may extend this stranger a welcome. Let nobody refuse this bidding, and summon the godlike singer Demodocus hither, for he is endowed by a god with song which pleases, however his heart exhorts him to sing it. So, having spoken to them, he started ahead, and they followed. Those with the scepters, the herald went after the godlike singer. Then those fifty-two youths chosen out for the convoy set forth, as he had bidden, to go to the shore of the desolate sea brine. But when they had arrived down there at the sea and the galley, then they dragged the dark ship out into the depths of the sea brine. Set up the mast pole and hoisted the sails in the dark-hued galley. Next, they fastened the oars in the oxhide thongs of the oarlocks, all in an orderly fashion, 
Above they spread out the white sails. Out from the beach on the water they anchored her. Then they at once set forth to return to sagacious Alcanoas' massive palace. Every portico, courtyard, room in the building was filled with men who had gathered, and many there were, both younger and older. There among them Alcanoas offered a sacrifice, twelve sheep, eight of his white-tusked pigs, and as well two swing-pacing oxen. These they flayed and prepared, and arranged an agreeable banquet. Soon did the herald approach, conducting the trustworthy singer. Dearly the muse loved him, and she gave him a good and an evil, taking the sight from his eyes, while giving the art of sweet singing. Then Pontanoas placed him an armchair studded with silver, right in the midst of the diners, and leaned it against a tall pillar. After the herald had hung up the clear-toned lyre on its peg there, over his head, he showed him how in his hands he could take it, set a food basket and beautiful table beside him, and set him wine in a goblet to drink, whenever his spirit commanded. They put forth eager hands to partake of the food lying ready. When they had quite satisfied their appetites, drinking and eating, straightway the muse incited the singer to sing of men's famous deeds from the lay whose fame at the time reached up to wide heaven, even the strife of Odysseus and Peleus' scion Achilles. How one time at a bountiful feast of the gods they had quarreled with most violent words, and the leader of men, Agamemnon, felt great joy in his mind that the noblest Achaeans were fighting. For in a prophecy, thus he was told by Phoebus Apollo, once in Pytho the Holy, the time he crossed the stone threshold seeking advice, for the onset of evil was billowing over Trojans and Danians both by the counsels of Zeus Almighty. This the illustrious singer was singing to them, and Odysseus took in his dowart hands the voluminous mantle of purple, drawing it over his head, concealing his beautiful features. He felt shame to shed tears from his eyes with Phaeacians looking. But whenever the godlike singer would pause in his singing, wiping away his tears, from his head he took off the mantle, taking a two-handled cup, to the gods he poured a libation. But as again he started to sing, the Phaeacian nobles urging him on to his song, for they took great joy in the story, then once more would Odysseus, concealing his head, begin weeping. There he was shedding his tears unobserved by all of the others. Only Alcanoas noticed and took good mind of the man who sat there close to his side, and he heard him heavily groaning. Straightway then he addressed the Phaeacians, lovers of rowing. Listen to me as I speak, Phaeacian leaders and princes. Now in our hearts we are quite satisfied with the well-shared banquet, as with the lyre, which makes a companion to plentiful feasting. Therefore now let us go outside and make trial in contests, every sort, that the stranger may say to his friends in his country, when he returns to his home, how easily we surpass others, whether in boxing or wrestling, in swiftness of foot or in jumping. So having spoken to them, he started ahead, and they followed. After the herald had hung up the clear-toned lyre on its peg there, 
Taking Demodocus' hand, he led him out of the chamber, guiding him forward on that same pathway the others had followed, all of the noblest Phaeacian men who would witness the contests. They all went to the place of assembly, along with a countless multitude. Many and excellent youths stood up for the contests. Noble Acranius rose, Ochelus also, Elatrus, Nautius, Primnius too, Ancylos also, Eretmus, Pontus, Prorius too, Anabasinios, and then Thoon, then Amphialus, scion of Tecton's son Polyneos. Also Euryalus rose, to man slaughtering Ares an equal, Naubalus' son, who was best among all the Phaeacian nobles, after the noble Laodamus, both in build and in beauty. Also the three offspring of the noble Alcanous stood up, first Laodamus, Halios then, and godlike Clytoneus. These men first made trial of speed by running a foot race. Stretching away from the post was the course they ran, and together swiftly they all flew along, stirring up much dust from the meadow. Easily best of the men in running was brave Clytoneus, just so far as the range in a fallow field of a mule team, so far ahead, outstripping the others, he ran to the people. Next they started a trial of strength in arduous wrestling. Best in this was Euryalus, vanquishing all of the nobles. Over them all in the jump, Amphialus proved outstanding. Easily strongest of all was Elatrus, throwing the discus. Boxing, Laodamus won, Alcanous, excellent scion.